That last verse of that song is quite a prayer. That God would grant us wisdom from above to pray for peace and to cling to love and teach me humbly to receive the sun and the rain and His sovereignty and all that comes. That's a good prayer as we come to God's Word today. To be praying for Him to use His Word in our lives. Our text is the same as what I just read from 1 Corinthians 1. So if you would turn there again, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through chapter 2, verse 5. And the title of the message here is The Wisdom and the Power of the Cross. And as we begin this and we look at things, I know that in our world today, the cross is not a terrible figure to a lot of people. It's something that people use. We have it on our jewelry we, we see it in glass windows and churches, the stained glass that's out there. Um, we see it around in so many different ways. People use the cross in a lot of things. Some people who are deeply religious use it. Some who are superstitious use the cross. And there's lots of shades of people in between. The sign of the cross is made by baseball players when they get up to bat sometimes. The the pilots, before they take off, they do it. Boxers, before they fight. <laughs> In fact, you may have heard about the gambler at the racetrack who happened to see a priest making a sign of a cross over one of the horses. So what he did was he went and bet his whole paycheck, all his rent money and uh, the car payment on that horse, figuring that the priest was blessing the horse. The race went on and that horse finished dead last. Many things behind. So he went running after that priest to go find out what was going. With surprise, the priest responded after he said, you, you had blessed that horse. He said, I wasn't blessing the horse. I was giving it the last rites. <laughs> but the story aptly illustrates, doesn't it? How the cross has been largely emptied of its content in our society today. We have a lot of we have lost the significance of what happened on the cross for you and me. Our prayer at times maybe should be, Lord, take us back to the cross. Help us to see it anew and afresh. You see here in our text, the Corinthians were full of pride. The Greeks were proud of their wisdom their philosophy and their culture. The, the Romans were proud of their power. Their empire is reigning world superpower and their military machine. And the Jews were proud of their heritage as the chosen people of God. And the culture that was all around the Corinthians valued philosophical wisdom and the political power along with money and the fleshly pleasures that were there. Does it sound at all like a culture that we know? Whether East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, Southeast or Southwest United States, it touches home to the way we are in our melting pot that we live in. And of course, none of us are prideful at all, are we? <laughs> in 1 Corinthians 1.17, the verse before our text, Paul had written, he said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. 
In other words, we do not want to obscure the power of the cross. The power of what Jesus did for you and me. But what happens so often is that our pride, our arrogance crosses out the cross and it crosses out the gospel. Our worldly wisdom and our common sense at times gets in the way. And so what God has Paul do is he has them focus right on the most important thing. He reminds them that human wisdom is no match for God. God's wisdom and His wonderful power to save is so much more than whatever our human thoughts can bring into play. So let's take a look at it. Let's take it to heart here as we go and and jump into these verses. That first point that we want to make is that worldly wisdom and the wisdom of the gospel in verses 18 through 25. And let's be clear right up front as we do this. Worldly human wisdom, though man has been given the ability to think, we are created by God and we have all these different things to gain knowledge, but worldly wisdom is very often, most often, it's in opposition to God. It's tainted by sin and our own selfishness. And by basing their divisions in the church on human wisdom, the Corinthian Christians revealed that they had forgot, they had forgotten the basics. They had forgotten to go back to that truth. And we see it there in verses 18 and 19. Paul notes to them what it means again to be believers and to be unbelievers or to be the perishing there. The message, the word of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. It seems crazy. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. I think sometimes I forget this and we can do this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we forget how utterly foolish it seems to the world that the Savior of the world died on a Roman cross. Because when you look in history at the Roman cross, this instrument of torture, it was reserved for enemies of the state, for criminals for those that were foolish enough to go against the power of Rome. And if somebody looks at that in history, you wonder, what in the world? I love what John Stott said about this. John Stott said, he said, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I turn to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, he writes. Nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks. Mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me, he said. He set aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. 
The words of John Stott here provide one of the best arguments for both the existence of God and the power of the cross. We must remember what Jesus did on that cross for you and me. The blood that was shed. Rather than try and rationalize it or turn it into something that it wasn't. And in verse 20, Paul asks them the question, he says, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher, the debater of this age? And then he asks a question that finally has a positive answer to it. And you see it there in verse 20. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And indeed God has. God gave His Son willingly. And it didn't make sense to so many. But it is the way of salvation. It is the truth that is there for you and me. It is the way that God chose to bring salvation to us, to be fully God and fully man. I always ask this question of, of different things, but why did, God, why did Jesus have to be fully God? He had to be fully God so He could be the perfect, holy sacrifice. Now there's one problem You don't kill God. Sin is what brings death into the world. So why did he have to be man? Yes, so he understands what we go through, but more importantly, so that he could die. So that he could fulfill that sacrifice for you and me. There was a university physics professor that testified that he came to a university believing that he had all the answers for the world. He was an avowed evolutionist. He, he said, I knew all about cause and effect, and I could begin with the present, and I could work my way back behind every natural effect. I found a natural cause. And he said, one day I was studying a specimen under a microscope, and suddenly I noticed a particle of dust on the lens. I asked, whence came that dust? (laughs) That dust was an effect for which he said, I couldn't find a natural cause. And I had to admit admit that behind the dust was not a cause, but the cause. And he said, a speck of dust led me to God. Confirmation students, we just went through that. What are the ways we know there's a God? It's natural revelation, our consciences, and then the revelation of God's Word. And a speck of dust led this man to begin to look at who God really was. And then when you look at verses 21 through 25, we see the thought of being wiser and stronger For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believed through the foolishness 
of the message that was preached. (laughs) How is God wiser and stronger? Why is He? Because the world through its wisdom does not know Him intimately as their Savior or Creator. What seems foolish to the world saves those who believe, who trust with that childlike faith. And then in verse 22 are all those demands, aren't they? Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a crucified Messiah king was an oxymoron to them. Jesus was executed as a state criminal. That was a scandal to the Jews, to the Greeks and to the Romans. But in verses 24 and 25, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God, foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. That's what Paul was reminding the Corinthian church about. It's what he reminds us about again today, doesn't he? To remember who we are in Christ and what Christ did for you and me. The second point today in verses 26 through 31 is that worldly wisdom and the experience then of the gospel. And in verse 26, he calls them brothers. Brothers, he's reminding them that we are part of the family of Christ. And he says there in verse 26, remember when you were called. In a sense, he's saying, remember what you were. You were sinners in need of the grace of God. You were sinners on the road on the road to being apart from God for all eternity. The Spirit called you through the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit that works through the word today as we read it. You were not wise by human standards. You were not influential. You weren't powerful. You weren't of noble birth. In other words, you had no basis to place your ways over someone else's ways. You had no reason to be considered as the authority. Remember that you were called through the gospel. And in the words of a famous cartoon, and don't you forget it. <laughs> and kids, if you don't recognize that one, that's Quick Draw McGraw from way back when. You'll have to ask your parents. If, if Then I'm showing how old I am as all goes along. But we can't forget it. Don't forget. That's what Paul is saying to you and me today too. God's using that. In verses 27 through 30, he reminds them that God chose these things. God chose the foolish things to shame the wise of the world. By the way, is, is, is Jesus, did God or Jesus ever say it's wrong to be intelligent? No. That's not the things that we're talking about here. 
It's not wrong to gain knowledge. It's not wrong to win a Jeopardy show or something on occasion. But God chose the foolish things, what seems foolish, to shame the wise of the world. He chose the weak things to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things, the despised, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. Think of the old song, if you could see what I once was, if if you could go with me. (laughs) And then the song says, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. (laughs) I mean, think about this. Christ came to this world. The creator of the world came to a manger of all places in a barn. And he was put on a cross and despised by this world. That's why we can say that the ground at the cross is level, isn't it? It's there for anyone. For God so loved just Green Bay Packer fans. For God so loved the world. For Christians, the categories of intelligence or influential and high status are replaced by being righteous being found holy, being redeemed in Jesus Christ. And there's no reason for us then to boast, to demand our way. There's no reason to divide or to quarrel. In verse 30, it says it's because of Jesus. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, it gives us some of those same words. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Paul is telling us to boast in the Lord Jesus Christ crucified, risen and coming again because He is the true spiritual wisdom and power. Can you imagine if you and I were more proud of Christ crucified than anything else in our lives? Can you imagine if our focus and topic of conversation was about the Gospel and the Word of the Cross more than anything else? What if we were more excited about Christ crucified than anything else. Paul wrote in Galatians 6.14, but may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Jesus Christ crucified is the wisdom from God. And we need to give credit where credit is due. And that's what Paul does here. In verses 1 through 5 of chapter 2, we find the worldly wisdom and the preaching of the gospel, the proclaiming, the living out, the words spoken, proclaiming 
First of all, that testimony about God. He said, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. That mystery was brought forth In the streams of living water, Richard Foster tells about Billy Graham preaching in Cambridge in 1955. And for three nights, Billy Graham tried to make his preaching academic and enlightened. But there was no effect. What Billy Graham finally realized that presenting the intellectual side of faith was not his gift. And she already began to preach. The simple message of Jesus Christ rescuing us from our problem of sin. And in that devotional, Foster writes, he says, the results were astonishing. Hundreds of sophisticated students responded to the clear presentation of the gospel. It was a lesson in clarity and simplicity that Billy Graham never forgot. (laughs) May I say something? Well, I guess I'm up front, so you're going to have to hear it, I guess. Don't base your beliefs and following of Christ on the eloquence of speaking or the superior earthly wisdom of man. Base it on Jesus Christ alone and the truth of this word that he has given to us. In verse 2, he says, I want to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. (laughs) By the way, it never says that we don't dig into Scripture. We don't study it. That's clear that we gain that knowledge. But we'll always come back to the foundational point. (laughs) I find myself praying for that more and more in my life as I gain more knowledge, as I live more of life, I find myself praying, Lord, help me to keep that childlike faith. Because sometimes all those other things start messing it up. Simply believe with my whole heart. Where does this faith rest upon the last part of this? It It rests on God's power. You see that in verse 5 of the text. Paul says, Your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. There was a film that came out in 1992. It was called A River Runs Through It. And what the movie chronicles are two brothers coming of age in the early 20th century and Missoula, Montana. And the boys grow up under the stern tutelage of their father, who was a minister. And the preacher teaches his sons about life, grace, and love through the art of fly fishing. But as the boys mature and they follow different paths, one follows the straight and narrow, and the other one goes on a wild path all over the place, there's one thing that they find that is a bond that still draws them together as adults, and that's fly fishing. And thus the title of the movie is A River Runs Through It. It was not a description of the land as much as it was a description of a recurring theme in their lives. 
when all else failed, they could always go back to the river and the brothers could bond with their dad through fly fishing. If I had to pick a title for Christianity and the community experience, it might be a cross runs through it. When all else fails, we can always go back to the cross and the bond that we have around our love for the one who showed his love for us by dying there. Ultimately, all that we believe is wrapped up in that truth. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The cross and the empty grave is our message. It is our hope. It's our confidence. It's our badge of honor in a way. That emblem of suffering and shame. Through the world, though the world might despise the cross, we rally to it. And in that sign alone, we conquer through Christ. So let's love the cross. Let's preach the cross. Let's stand by the cross and never be ashamed of the cross and the one who gave his life for us. May we hold it high as the banner of our salvation. May we lift it up as a hope to the world. Because there's no power greater than Jesus Christ and the cross. It's the only power that can lift men and women out of their sins, release them from condemnation, and give them new life and set their feet in a new direction. Clarence Darrow, the famous atheist lawyer, and I'll end with this, once took part in a debate at a church in Chicago. In his attack on the Christian faith, he tried to play on the emotions of the people that were there and on their social misery that they were in. This was the heart of the depression, he said to them. No money, no jobs, you have little hope. And he amplified their despair And frustrations in one moment of eloquence, Clarence Darrow said, I don't understand it. You sing such great music. I've heard you singing here today amid all the woes of life. How can you sing? What in the world do you have to sing about as you face a life like this? Clarence Darrow was asking a rhetorical question. He wasn't expecting any answer. But like a flash, there was a woman who stood up in the, right in front of him in the front row. And she said, why do we sing? Mr. Darrow, what do we have to sing about? She said, Mr. Darrow, we have Jesus to sing about. <laughs> we have Jesus to sing about. Do you have him to sing about? Go to the cross again today. Be reminded of the good news that He has taken all of our sin upon Himself. That when we come to Him humbly to receive that grace, we can walk with Him each day and live in that truth. For His Word is truth. Lord, thank You for Your Word today. And again, thank you for your wisdom 
Help us to take this knowledge we have of what You've done and to live it out. But Lord, again, may we look to the cross. Help us to look to You each day. To know that You're there for us. Lord, You know each heart here today. You know my heart. (laughs) Do that work. Encourage us, Lord. Open our hearts. Awaken us again to You. And most of all, Lord, help us to live for You and You alone. Thank You, Jesus. Pray in Your name.